His grace. For our God is the author of life. He is the bright and morning star. He is the prince of peace. He is the fountain of wisdom. And he is the fountain of living waters. And we must declare the beauty and wisdom and glory of our God in heaven. For let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And if we fail, if we are silent, and if we refuse or shrink back and don't proclaim the beauty and excellency and the gospel of Christ, then even the very stones will cry out. And today, we are looking at a text, Psalm 96, that describes this beautifully, poetically, vividly. Psalm 96 is an incredible passage that declares the glory of God to the nations. And so this morning, we're looking at all peoples, all praise. That's what it's about. That God's ultimate desire is that all peoples on this planet would worship Him to the praise of His name, which is why we read earlier in the worship gathering in our scripture reading out of Psalm 67, You might recall, we read, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Worship is ultimate. People that do not know God do not worship Him. Those that have not believed in the gospel, that have not repented and believed in Christ alone, those who have not been transformed by the power of the Spirit, those that are not following Jesus are not worshiping the one true and living God. And so we must proclaim, but we must also live out this good news of Jesus' life, death, and burial, and resurrection. So that those people around us that don't know Him will know Him, and then they too can join us and the chorus of millions of others in worshiping God. Because those who don't know Him, can't worship Him, and our desire is to have more people gathered to join us as we lift up the name of Christ. And so we must go forth and make disciples so that people can glorify Him. But you might think, but wait, isn't our mission that we must glorify God by making them disciples? Yes, it's both. Because the glory of God is both the goal and the fuel of mission. And so the glory of God is the goal. So we go forth and we make disciples so that they will glorify God. And so the ultimate goal of mission, of making disciples, our goal is that people will then glorify God. And yet it is also the fuel. Because we will only talk about, we will only delight in, we we will only discuss things that we care about. We're all like that. And so you and I will not partake in the mission. We will not be intentional. We will not make disciples unless we have a heart that is gripped by the beauty and glory of Christ where we're worshiping Him every single day. Unless our hearts are truly worshiping Jesus, we won't want to partake in the mission. We'll get too wrapped up in other things, and our lives will be consumed by other things that we're, in essence, worshiping. And so, therefore, we will not partake in the mission. And so, the goal of mission is the glory of God, and the fuel that propels us is also 
the glory of God. And so that's what we're talking about in Psalm 96. Just so you know, brief context on this psalm, it's called the royal psalm. It was a psalm that was sung when King David brought in the ark into the new capital, Jerusalem. It's a beautiful psalm that describes God as king who is worthy of all praise. And that God desires to be praised by all people, by all nations, every tribe and nation and tongue. And that is God's ultimate desire. So the main idea on Psalm 96 is that God's supreme goal, all right, God's supreme goal is to be worshipped by all nations. So God's supreme goal is to be worshipped by all nations. And so this poem, this psalm, has three sections. Verses 1 through 6 is the first movement. Verses 7 through 9, and then verses 10 through 13. And so in these three sections or movements in this musical poem, this psalm, we learn three particular elements or aspects of worship. The first one is that worship is, number one, the delight for all nations. And so what is worship? Worship is, number one, the delight for all nations. Verses 1 through 6. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. This psalm is quoted nearly verbatim in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. As I mentioned, the context there is King David bringing in the Ark of the Covenant into the newly conquered, the newly established capital, Jerusalem. Now, if you're not familiar with a lot of the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was, was God's presence with his people. And so God's presence, of course, God can't be contained by a box, but this represented God dwelling. This represented Emmanuel, which is God with us, which is why when Jesus came in John chapter 1, in the first few verses, in the prologue of the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus came and he dwelt among us. The word there is tabernacled, that Jesus tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us, and so God now came near. So Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And the foreshadowing of that in the Old Testament was the Ark of the Covenant, that God was literally right there with his people. So God had vanquished the enemy, the Jebusites, and now Jerusalem is the home, the capital, and now the Ark is being brought in. And so you have God's people celebrating and David dancing half naked in the streets, and just worshiping God. And it was just a magnificent time of joy and celebrating God for he vanquished the enemy and now God's presence is there. And so joy, sheer joy comes from God's presence. And so in our lives when we're not having joy, usually you can look back and see that somewhere along the line, you've maybe strayed ever so slightly away from God and you're not as close to him maybe as you were, and maybe things happened that were difficult. But nonetheless, when we don't have God's presence in our lives, then we lose 
our joy. Because God is the source of joy. So they were delighting us. So worship is the delight for all nations. And you see it in the first three lines. It says, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. So sing, sing, sing. And so we're, we're told to sing, sing to God, to sing His praises. But who? Who is to sing? It says, all the earth bless His name to celebrate the one true God revealed in the Bible. And so singing, why is singing so important? Maybe you come here on a Friday morning and you think, ah, oh, I don't like those songs. Or you think, oh, well, it's, not, it's not my home country's kind of music. Or I wish we would sing different kinds of songs. And, and we can get so caught up in not liking the style or not liking the whatever about the songs, and then you can just kind of stand there. And I see some of you sometimes. You're just kind of standing there. And you're not singing. Now, I don't want to pass judgment, but the Bible says to sing. And so when God's people gather together, we ought to be singing. If you come here on a Friday morning and your mind is a million kilometers away, and your body's in the zoo, and your body is here in the worship gathering in this place that incredibly God provided for us. So yes, you're here, but your mind, your heart, very far away, so you're not singing. You're not worshiping God at that point. You're meditating on something totally different, and so you're missing it. You're missing the opportunity to praise God with your fellow believers. And so singing is simply the overflow out of a heart that has just been gripped by God's presence. And so we sing his praises. And so if you come here like, yeah, I don't really want to sing. If you, if you don't, no, nah, I'm not a very good singer. All right, so my mic is off whenever we're singing because you don't want me to sing, you know, with the mic on. And yet, there is such joy. And in my better moments, I'll sing, even in the car, when I'm alone. No one knows in the car when I'm singing. It's important. It's, it's a sign that there's an overflow spilling over and running off out of your heart, cup, so to speak. And we sing to the Lord. And we sing what? It says, sing to the Lord, tell of his salvation from day to day. And so this singing flows from what? From salvation. The very gospel that has saved us and we're so overwhelmed and just overcome by God's grace towards us and his love and understanding what a sinner, what a rebel, and what a traitor I am towards God and how at times I give my heart to other things and yet God loves me and sent his son to die on the cross for me. And this great salvation that I don't deserve and could never earn and yet God is so good to me. And being gripped by that leads to joy. And then that leads to expressing that with singing. And so if we don't ever want to sing to God, I just ask you a question. Why? Why? Think about that. Consider it. Because it matters. It's in here for a reason. It's part of delighting in God. Verse 3 says, declare his glory among the nations. Here's the key. Declare, reveal, tell of, make it known. His glory among who? Among your own people group, right? Among just your ethnicity, right? No, among all the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. 
all the peoples, every ethnicity, all people. And so when you read nations and peoples, think of it in terms of like clans. Think of it in terms of people groups. It's not just a geopolitical nation because the truth is you can have one nation and within that nation have many peoples. And so when this is talking about nations and peoples and families, it's talking about not borders around, again, geopolitical realities. This is much more than that. This is every nationality, but every tribe and every clan and every people group. This is talking about all people that will one day be represented in heaven, every tribe and every nation and every tongue together worshiping Christ. And every single person, all peoples, are called to come and delight, come and enjoy God. That is the call here. And so that is our mission, is to glorify God by making and developing disciples. Why? For the glory of God. We, we glorify God by doing it, and we do it for the glory of God. It's all about Him and what He is doing in the world to make His name great. So this is our commission. And maybe God brought you to Abu Dhabi and you thought that you came for a job. Maybe you came here and you really thought that you came because you had gainful employment. You come here, make some money, provide for your family, and so you came here because of a J-O-B. But is it possible that God brought you here for something much bigger, much more important, something eternal, and he brought you here and your job was simply the means. He brought you here because of your job, but that was the means. The end is this right here, living a life that declares his glory among the nations. Because the nations, the peoples are here. I was talking to Kasha before the worship gathering just this morning. You know, he's been up here before, partnering with him in the labor camps, people from all over the globe, and he was out a couple nights ago, and several received Christ when, when he was sharing. And so we're seeing fruit. And the gentleman that we're partnering with, who is part of our faith family, is out there doing this most nights and seeing fruit. And we can be a part of that, so you can partake in that. But it doesn't have to be just labor camp. I mean, it could be where you work with your neighbors in your compound with your friends, with your co-workers, being intentional that as you delight in Jesus, the overflow is declaring it to all people. Verse 4 describes further, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, for he is to be feared above all gods. That is a powerful verse. Let me read it again. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, he is to be feared above all gods. Do you realize that no human being can say that with all their heart on their own power? It's not possible. No human being is able to declare this from their heart on their own power. To declare this, to say that God is great and he deserves the praise and he is above all idols, above all gods, is only possible through saving grace. Only possible if the Spirit of God allows that person to have their eyes open and they respond with faith and repentance and their heart is changed and then they say, oh, God is great and he alone is worthy of all praise and he is better than my idols. You see, most 
people would say this, the average person on this planet, of any nationality, any kind of background, would say, oh yeah, well God is great, sure, absolutely, and, and God should be praised, and, and God is above all the other gods, and so most people, unless they're secular humanists, most people would affirm that this is true, but it's one thing to claim this, and it's a whole different thing with all of your heart to actually live this, because most people that are religious, in our context, most people that we live with are religious. They are saying this and believing this out of sheer religious duty, not out of delight that comes from a transformed heart that yearns to worship God. Hear me. There's a big difference with religious duty and delight that flows from a transformed heart, from the gospel that yearns to praise God. See, for many people, religiosity is nothing more than you might call impression management. So that's how I see it, is most people that I see that are very religious, very external in, in their faith, whatever faith they have, it's all about managing their impression. They want to look good in front of other people. And so they do their religious thing in order to maintain the appearances. It's all about the show. And this reminds me of a time not long ago, a few months ago, when the weather was a lot better. I was out with a few of my home group members, and we were in the Corniche and had dinner. It was a lovely evening, walking around, and we went to the Cold Stone Creamery. And know what that is, Cold Stone? Oh, head nods, I like it. I love Cold Stone Creamery. And we went there, and so I was in the queue. It was a long line because good weather, so people were all in the queue. And so it was my turn. I looked at attendant and I say, I would like a kid-sized orange dreamsicle with marshmallows. And a dear, sweet sister in the faith who was next to me cries out, that's not very masculine. And so I was like, I was like oh, no, that's not for me. I was for my eight-year-old. I would never eat orange dreamsicle with marshmallows. And she's like, sure, admit it. That's your favorite. I was like, no, it's not for me. I like adult-type flavors, like cookie dough with you know, cake batter. That's my favorite. But it's become this running joke in our home group where it comes up like every other week. Hey, Matthew eats orange creamsicle with marshmallows. I was like, no, that's my eight-year-old's. But point is this. I did not want to look bad as much as you don't want to look bad. None of us ever want to look bad. We want to maintain our appearance and, and say, no, no, I like, I like chocolate. I don't like orange, you know, and whatever it looks like in our illustration in your world, how people see you matters to you. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But when our primary value, when we want most above anything else, is to maintain how we look before other people, and we're motivated to do things that are good and motivated to even do things that are religious or ritualistic or even that might look really good to other believers, and our motivation for doing those things is because we look good by doing it. You have just made that your idol. You have just made that desire to look good before other people your idol. Because what you value most what you find comfort in, what you delight in, what you meditate on the most is your God. And so it could either be the one true God or it can be a counterfeit. It can be an idol. And so when you value God more than anything else, 
that which you value most, including if it's your image, is your idol. And it can be a very deadly form when it's a religion. Very deadly. Even for those that believe in Christ, we can very subtly replace delighting in Christ with delighting in how others view us. But idols are worthless, it says. Verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. It says idols are worthless because false gods can't make your heart sing. False gods won't fill your heart. Idols can't transform your heart. Idols won't satisfy your soul that is thirsty. An idol won't be there for you when life is so hard that you feel like you've been run over by a Mack truck. And some of you in this room, you know what I'm talking about. You know what it is to have really hard times and walk through deep, dark valleys and go through these dark waters and, and you just wonder, God, how am I going to get through this? And if you've ever been through something so hard and so dark, then you know that turning to anything else, any other idol, will not satisfy. There is no lasting delight in false gods. Idols will not satisfy your soul. They're worthless. You know what idols do to us? Idols are evil, taskmaster, slave-driving gods. And they, will, and they have their whip, and they whip us. And these idols drive us and force us to try to find joy in that idol, and it doesn't ever satisfy. And when we have these false gods, these idols in our hearts, you know what it tends to do to us? We tend to look down on other people for their sin, and we tend to excuse our own sin because we want to then hide our idol, so we want to hide our sin, and we want to then maybe partially confess our sin, but not reveal how bad or deep it really goes. And then we want to deny our sin. And then we, want to, and then we allow this idol to then rule us, and we're consumed by our false gods. And then we become defined by our sin. But then we embrace it, and then we accept our sin. And then at times we even ignore our sin, or we try to minimize our sin, or we just flat out give into it and just stop fighting against it. Or if we're honest, we can even delight in our sin. And this is what happens when we are delighting in something, whatever it is, other than Jesus. So the question is, what consumes your thoughts? What do you think about most when you're tired or when you're sad or when when you're down, when you're depressed, when life is hard, what is the first thing that your mind goes to? That is a sure sign of what maybe is taking up a little bit too much of your heart, and it should be Christ. We should turn to Jesus to delight in, to find comfort in, not anything else. But to here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus came to free us from our idolatry. He came to free us from our patterns of sinfulness and addictions and, and, and our problems that we have. Jesus came to free us, to liberate us 
from these idols that are slave-driving masters, and so that now we can serve the one true God and have Jesus be our king, have him be our master. And he's a master that loves us and wants what's best for us, and we can delight in him, and our soul is satisfied. So Jesus came. That's the point of the gospel, is to free us from sin. That's why God sent Christ, so that we don't, we don't have to have these false idols these false gods, we can have the real thing. No counterfeit. Have the real thing. Jesus, who alone will satisfy. And so our delight flows from recognizing the supreme worth of God. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. You have to hear me. Jesus is better than anything else that we can want to give our hearts to. And we must tell others that Jesus is better than what they are giving their heart to. Worshiping is delighting. It's delight for the nations, for all people. Number two, worship is the demand upon all nations. And so worship, number one, is the delight for all nations, but it's also the demand upon all nations. Verses 7 through 9. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Three times it says, ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe, ascribe. What does the word ascribe mean? Well, the word ascribe means to believe that something belongs to a person. And so what belongs to God? It says here, what? Glory and strength. That belongs to God. Glory and strength. That belongs to God. What belongs to God? The glory due His name. He deserves it. He, we have to ascribe and believe that it belongs to Him. And who should do this? It says all the families of the peoples, all peoples, all ethnicities, all language groups, everyone is called to do this. And so Christianity is not just for white Westerners. It's not. Christianity, the gospel, is for all people. It's for Arabs. It's for you name one. We say, oh no, they're Muslim. That's not true. This is for everyone. All people must recognize that Jesus is better. He demands worship from all nations. Now, I know what you're thinking, at least some of you, like, oh, hold on a second. God is demanding that I delight in him. That's like saying, all right, kids, we're going to go shopping with mom for four hours for clothes for just mom. And so no clothes for you, Abigail. It's just for mom. And so we're going to go, and I demand that you will enjoy it. How's that going to work for the kids? It won't work. Because you can't demand delights, can you? Can you demand you must enjoy? Enjoyment has to flow from somewhere, from your heart. You have to enjoy it. You can't force it. And yet, God here is calling all people to find their delight in Him, to sing to Him. As you think, well, how, does this, how is this possible? How can God actually demand that we delight in Him? 
we have to understand something that might be a little bit deep for a few of us, but if you track with me, it'll make sense. Why does God demand that we will enjoy him? We'll understand why we exist, what is our purpose. Humans exist. You know, the old catechism says, the chief end of man. Humans exist for what? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is why we exist, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So our purpose in the word is worship, to recognize his glory and to reflect it in this relationship. So to glorify God is to live a life of worship. So God made us to worship him. Here's the thing. You and I don't have a choice. You think, well, yes, I do. No, you don't. You don't have a choice in worshiping. You will worship, period. Humans were made to worship. You and I worship every second of every day because we were designed, we were created to worship. You you know what you and I are? You're a garden hose. Think of yourself as a hose, all right, that shoots out water. Now, think of this hose, you and me, humans, as a hose that the water pressures on all the way, okay? Knob is turned, water is shooting all the way. Now pretend that you take off the knob, and so you you can't turn it off anymore. So there's no knob, there's no handle, and now the water pressure is going continuously, and you can't turn it off. Now, you can point this water hose at the grass, right? Or you can point it to the street and just run off on the street but you cannot shut it off. That hose will continue to spray water. That is a human heart. We continuously worship. You can't shut it off. It's not possible. There's no handle. You can't shut off your worship. God has made you to worship. And so you can either point your worship to God, or you can point your worship to other things. Now, that's where you have a choice. You do have a choice in where are you going to point, where are you going to direct your worship. Are you going to direct your worship to false gods or will you direct your worship to the one true living God as revealed in the Holy Bible through his son, Jesus Christ? You must choose this day who you will worship, but you don't get a choice in worshiping. You will. You will find joy. You will find delight. You will find comfort. You will find value in something. So God made us this way because that's how God is. We reflect his image. You see, God delights in himself. You think, well, that's kind of weird. Well, God has to. Do you think God will violate his very first commandment? What is the first commandment? You will have no, what? No other gods but me. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, right? And so God has given us his command to love him. So if God finds more joy, more delight in something other than himself, what does that make God? An idolater. If God sees more value, if God sees more glory in something other than himself, his own glory, then God will be putting his value in something other than the supreme, most beautiful, wise, and glorious being that there is. And it's himself. And so God is zealous for his glory. Repeatedly, I will do it for my name's sake. 
I will save you for my name's sake. I will, everything that God does is for the sake of his name, so that his name is glorified and magnified and the nations recognize his worth and respond with faith and obedience to him. And so God is zealous for his own glory to be displayed. And so we, as his image bearers, made in his image, must be the same. We must imitate and reflect God, and we must be zealous for his glory. When we don't submit to him, we're violating our purpose. We're violating the reason why he made us, which is why in this very psalm it says, the glory due his name. His name, his character, his essence deserves it. And so when he's saying, I demand what he's saying, quite simply, is this is what's best for you. This is why I made you. I, he made us to do this. And verse 8 says, what happens? What is the result of someone that has been gripped by the gospel and then lives for Christ? It says what? That you bring an offering and come into his course, come into his presence we will bring an offering. Now, is the offering just online giving or in the little bag? Right? No, that's part of it. It is. And so we bring a financial offering to God, but it's far more than your money. What does God want from you? He wants your heart. He is jealous for you. And so what he wants is all of you. He wants 100% of your heart. And so what is your offering? Your life. Your life. Your life is your offering to God and how you live it for him. And so when we praise God, we're actually completing our affection. Now, what does it mean when I say that praising is a completion of your affection? Think about it, ladies. If your husband says that he loves you, right, but he never tells you, like you, you think he loves you, he said it once a long time ago, but then your husband never says it again. He never says, sweetheart, I, I enjoy you. I just delight in you. I just love waking up next to you. I love feeling you just next to me. I love how your hair feels when it falls across my face. I love looking at you. I love being with you. I so enjoy you. I delight in you. If you never, ever say anything that to your wife would, would stir her heart to sing, if you never praise her for her intelligence or her hard work, if you never praise her for how she helps to raise your children, if you don't praise him for working hard, if you don't ever praise him for how he is as a father, if you don't ever praise each other, you have to ask the question, do you really love each other? If it never comes out, if it never comes up, if you never praise it's an inevitable question. Then, well, do you, is it in here? Is it in your heart? Do you really love him or her? Because when you are captivated by someone and you just love that person and you respect that person, praise is a byproduct. It's just a natural overflow. And so you're affirming, you're in a sense completing your affection by praising. And so when we praise God, we are affirming and completing our affections for him. And so I'll say this, no praise for God means no love for God. If your life never praises him on any level, if it's emaciated praise, maybe it's emaciated love for God, 
great praise for God shows great love for God. That's why this psalm is so key on doing this. And God desires, but he does demand because it's our intended purpose that we would bow down, recognize his majesty, and then it's our mission to tell others, you want joy? Come to Jesus. Come to King Jesus. Submit to the king, and then, and only then, will you truly have joy. Last as we close, worship is the what? The design for the nation. It's the design for the nations. And so worship is the delight for the nations. Worship is the demand upon the nations. And it's the design for the nations. Last few verses, and we'll wrap it up. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples in his faithfulness. This final section of this poem is absolutely magnificent. It describes God as the king, as the Lord reigns, and creation itself poetically is depicted. All of creation is acknowledging that God is king. And this is also a prophetic psalm. It points to the future. It says, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. So one day God will judge this earth and he'll, he'll judge it justly and rightly. He says, with equity and in righteousness. And so this points to a future day that's revealed in Revelation that hasn't happened yet, but it will, where Christ will rule over all the nations. It says, in his faithfulness, and all peoples, every person, all nations will come and bow down to King Jesus, and he will rule for eternity on the new heaven and the new earth as the reigning, victorious, good, and loving king. And those of us that know him, we know that where God rules, there is joy. Where God is ruling, there is peace. And where God is ruling, there is holiness. And there is justice. And so that's what heaven's going to be like because God's going to be ruling. But for us on this side of heaven, here's a question for you. Is God ruling in your heart? You see, if there's no joy or peace or holiness or justice, if those things aren't marks of how you live and how you think, the question is, is God ruling there? Because where God rules, it's inevitable that it's going to be holy and good and loving. And so when we are submitting to his rule, that's the result. And what I love about Abu Dhabi is the nations are here. If you're here this morning and what you've heard is somewhat unusual to you or maybe new to you, maybe you think to yourself, okay, talk about Jesus ruling and delighting in him and talk about the gospel, quite simply the gospel is that you and I are sinners and that God is good and he sent his son to live the perfect and holy life. He died on the cross for you. But he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected on the third glorious day and he's alive today and he'll come back one day to rule this world. But the only way that you can be part of his kingdom, the only way that you will have this delight that we're talking about in worshiping him is if you'll repent of your sins and believe in him with all of your heart. Trust in him. He'll save you. He'll change your heart. It's the only way.
That's what God revealed, and that's what, what this church believes. And if you, with all of your heart, would like to repent and believe in the gospel and experience this heart transformation where you too can then worship with all of your heart, all you have to do is take it when I pray is ask God to forgive you. Ask Jesus to save you. Turn away. Give them your heart. Ask them to be your master, your Lord, and he'll save you. And I would ask that you mark on the little information card, I received Christ today, or come talk to me. I would love to meet with you and help you on your journey as you grow more. But this is what we're about as a church, is displaying his glory to the nation so that others can join us in experiencing this worship. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we are truly humbled that you would give us your word, that you would speak to us, that you would save us and allow us from day to day to tell of your salvation, that you reign, that you deserve all praise, and that our idols are worthless, and we do desire to delight in you. I pray that you would use us. I pray that you would use this church to accomplish your purposes. We're unworthy. But we beg that your spirit would blow here in this place and that we would see people that become disciples and others that are would continue to grow and develop as disciples. I thank you for hearing us this morning. I thank you for revealing yourself to us. I pray for anyone in this room that is right now grappling with what they've heard from your word as a response to you. I pray you would manifest yourself to him or her right now. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for a faith family. Thank you for Abu Dhabi and for bringing us here. Help us to make your glory known to the nations. That is our heart's desire. And we pray this in the name of your son, our king, Jesus. Stand and worship the Lord. <laughs>